Well, good morning again, church. Um, good morning. Yeah, yeah, that's better. Oh, man, I was just like, oh. Hey, uh, we are really excited. This is, uh, uh, we're entering into a new year, and uh, we got a great uh, next uh, half an hour or so for us as we uh, listen to the word as we worship and experience baptisms. So we're just so grateful. It's my privilege to open the word to you today, and I'm going to basically just, hey, this is time of New Year's resolutions. Uh, I know that sometimes there are some Christians that get all um, uptight about doing resolutions, but I'm going to argue that actually in our passage today that we see an example of actually uh, making resolutions and uh, so, uh, how many of you have made your re- New Year's resolutions? Anyone? <laughs> like, do you not believe that that's like evil or something? <laughs> okay, well, that's good. We're just going to bob along like last year then. Uh, perfect. You're the perfect audience for this morning. Uh, we are actually going to look at, there's a, there is a great... Um, uh, opportunity to make a resolution, but we're going to look at what kind we should make as followers of Jesus and how we should accomplish them. Uh, and there is mention in our text today, as you will see. I'll briefly read the text, then I'm going to work through it two verses and uh, draw some, some uh, conclusions from it, okay? Uh, let's read together. Can we, those, let's read aloud together the passage before us, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the word of the Lord. And uh, for those in liturgical churches, you were to say, praise be to God. The word of the Lord. Yeah, we thank him for his word. I'm going to dive right into the application, and here is the thing. In light of the second coming, it happened in the passage prior, in light of the fact that Christ is returning, in light of the fact of the persecution they're facing, in light of the fact that there actually is a judgment coming, and it's not God, it's Jesus who's going to be the judge, in light of all of these things, and the fact that, that we'll finally be together with the Lord forever in the new heaven and the new earth, Therefore, he says this passage, he calls us to pray for one another. He's going to pray. Because of all that, he prays for the church in Thessalonica. And in light of that, Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus, or Silas, uh, they gathered together ongoingly. They always prayed for them. One of the most important ways in which they served the church was through prayer. And I know it's one of those kind of mom and apple pie things in the church, and we all go, yes, we should pray. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that actually fervent, real prayer is actually not as common among believers as we think it is. I remember reading a statistic about 10 years ago that said that actually throughout North America, including all kinds of churches, Protestant churches, that the average pastor prays less than five minutes a day. And is it any wonder that the churches are weak? Friends, 
we are being to be exhorted to do the same thing, to consistently pray for one, or one another, those who make up our church family, and especially to gather to pray. There's something that happens when the church family gathers together collectively that doesn't happen when we pray individually, scattered. Somehow the manifestation where two or three or more are gathered in my name about the kingdom work, I, Jesus presents himself or manifests his presence to them and through them and through their prayers. So I want to encourage you that you make prayer a priority. We're going to learn about, we're going to learn to pray for one another. Here's what he says, to this end, uh, we always pray for you. These three words, to this end, provide the link between what's coming in the future and where they are in the present. I talked about this, the return of Christ and where they are. Although his coming was imminent and his promises were guaranteed, the Thessalonians still had a way of life to pursue and a mission to fulfill. Some of them, if you read the rest of 2 Thessalonians, actually quit their jobs, lazied around, started, you know, kind of sponging off of everybody because they think, well, the Lord's coming, I don't have to do anything. And that's not what Jesus calls us to. He actually calls us to fervently pursue him and to be about his business. So Christ's coming and his judgment are not only an incentive to endure the persecution they're going after, but also an incentive to live a life of positive action in keeping with the purpose for which God has called them. Let's pray for one another. Like Paul praying for the Thessalonians, so we pray for one another. What do we pray? That God enable our faithfulness. We pray for one another that God enable our faithfulness the faithfulness in the way of living. Here's what he says in verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you, Here's, here it is, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. They're praying that God would be at work making them worthy of his calling, that in their lifestyle, in the way they live, we don't make ourselves worthy by trying to earn our own sort of worthiness. God's already made us worthy through the blood of Christ, the sacrifice he made by choosing us and redeeming us, justifying us, if you will, and we stand before him in right relationship, in the righteousness of Christ. But on the experiential side, this is what he's getting after, that we need to learn to live in a manner worthy of our calling, who we are positionally in Christ, now it's, we got to narrow that gap so that we become closer and closer to who we actually are positionally in Christ. So he makes us, God enables us to be worthy by helping us live in a manner that is in keeping with his calling. He enables you to become uh, the kind of person who can commit to live in alignment with Christ and his kingdom life. So here's some question to ask yourselves. You might want to talk about this in your small group or discipleship squad. You could ask this. What are some ways that God enables our faithfulness? How does he make you worthy in living the life that he calls you to? In the, as uh, it says in Thessalonians 2, to, first Thessalonians says, to live in a manner uh, that is worthy of God who's called you into his life and his kingdom. It's a great question to think through. How does he help you? If we had time today, we don't because of the baptisms, I'd get you in groups and you'd talk about this question. 
And some of you are going, oh, thank God, you don't have time. Here's a few things. He enables us to seek his kingdom and his righteousness above every other priority, the top priority of life. By being faithful to Jesus during difficult times, through suffering and persecution, he enables us by obeying, helping us to obey Jesus' teaching, his word, even when our culture opposes that word. He helps us to, as we've learned in 1 Thessalonians, to live with sexual holiness and marital faithfulness, to, to love one another and live out all of the many one another's in the New Testament by remaining committed to the ongoing ministry and mission of Jesus instead of living for our own comfort and convenience and our own selves. No, we, he enables us to gather, to participate, to love, to pray, to give, to serve, to care, to witness. This is what he enables us to do. Secondly, Paul and Silas and Timothy ongoingly gather to pray for this church that God would work powerfully through them. And here's how. Not only that God would enable their faithfulness, but that God would empower their fruitfulness. That God would empower their fruitfulness. We see this in verse uh, 11 as well, the second half of that verse. We looked at today, you know, to this end, we pray for you that God would make you worthy of his calling, this enabling your faithfulness, and that he may, here it is, fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. That God would do this. Every resolve, here we get our resolution. Our resolve, our desired intention, our determination that God, you see, we have these determinations. We resolve things that are good, to do good, things that are intrinsic or inherently good, inwardly and morally good. And these works of faith, these, these deeds that carry out this inner desire to actually put them into practice, deeds, good deeds, good works, born out of faith, carried out in faith, trusting God to accomplish them in us and through us. These external sort of actions or expressions of good works, they sort of show the evidence of this inner godly resolve in our faith. And only God can bring it about. Only God can bring it about. That he would fulfill these resolutions for good and the work of faith, these steps of faith when we act by his power. He's the only one. The word for power there is the same word we read in Acts 1.8. You will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So this power of God is found, the power of Christ is through his Holy Spirit and he will enable you and his Spirit will empower you. Does that make sense? Not only does he do that, here's a good question that you could contemplate again and maybe discuss in your groups. What are some ways that God empowers our fruitfulness. That is, how does he help us fulfill these resolves for good and these works of faith? See, too often we just read stuff, we listen to stuff, we don't think and ponder, reflect on how we apply and live these out. 
Again, if we had time, we might discuss with the neighbor, but we won't. What are these good works? Well, that we love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love one another as Christ loved us. Love neighbor as we love ourselves. That is to love the lost, the new Canadian, the broken, the marginalized. That our love would grow and abound. This is one thing. These are, these are these works and these fruit that God produces in us. That we would see his character grow within us. The fruit of godly character. That we would intentionally bless others or witness. We did a series called Bless, if you remember. That, that his spirit will empower us to be able to begin with prayer and to listen intently with people, to eat together, amen? Yeah, yes, eat together. To, to listen, to, to serve a need, to then share the story of the good news, that people would choose to believe and follow Christ, that we would witness and we would see increased baptisms, that we would see people listen to the Word of God, that they would get into the Word of God for themselves and live the kind of life that Jesus calls them to discover our spiritual gifts and deploy them in service, to grow in the grace of generous giving, to be sanctified in sexual holiness, to show compassion, to extend grace, to express hospitality, to deliver, see deliverance from strongholds, from hurts, habits, hang-ups, to see healing of bodies and marriages and relationships, deliverance from the bondage of lies and evil spirits to see wisdom for ministry leaders and elders and pastors, to care for the poor and feed the hungry, and to experience the presence of God in every life stage. Children, teens, young adults, single again, single, married, parents, empty nesters, grandparents, widows and widowers. And to pray down on York Region, both a great spiritual awakening in the communities and a powerful revival in the churches collectively. Oh, there's so many fruit things we can do, resolutions for good, steps of faith, acts of courage, and the power of God will enable them. You see, when God's activity meets our intentionality, great things happen. And when we step out in faith and God's act, he begins to work and move in response to our faith in him and what he leads us to do, then we see action take place. Here's the last thing. We need to pray for one another continually, ongoingly, that not only that God would enable our faithfulness, not only that he would empower our fruitfulness, but that God would exalt Jesus' greatness. We want to pray that Jesus is glorified. It's the next verse, verse 12. So why, why, why pray? Why pray that God would enable them to live out this calling? Why pray that they would be able to be equipped and empowered to be able to do the things that he's called us to do? So that, when you see that in the room, he's given the reason why. So that, and here it is that Jesus would be glorified, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God. The name in ancient literature means more than just a name. It was, it was a revelation of their character and their reputation. 
So it's that Jesus is glorified or glorified. He's made known. He's lifted up. He becomes famous. He's honored above all through who we are and our character as his spirit enables to live his life in power, this calling, and also through what is accomplished in us or through us by his spirit. We are glorified in him or he is glorified in us because he's working through us. When people see what happens, we just point to Christ and they go, I know that person. They couldn't have done that on their own. But in also a strange way, mysterious way, it almost seems irreverent. We are also glorified in him. It's like Jesus prayed in John 17 that all mine are yours and yours are mine. And he says to the Father that I may be glorified in them, his followers. Now, to illustrate what Paul is saying about how Jesus is glorified through us and we are glorified through him, I'm going to use an example, and please don't groan. And I know this is not a perfect example. Don't write me letters and don't complain. (laughs) I know what some of you are going to think as soon as you see it. But I want you to understand the principle of reciprocal glorification in Christ. And I'm going to use an earthly, less significant broken example, okay? And here it is. Tiger Woods and his son, Charlie, playing together at the PNC Championship. It's a premier golf tournament featuring PGA major winners and their family members, and they get to play together. And this, is, this was the fourth year that they've played together. And I just watched in amazement over the last four years, watching little Charlie, he's now growing older, but to see him play golf. And here's the thing. Charlie's passion, skill, and mannerisms reflects Tiger's golfing greatness and fame. If you've ever watched him, you see it. And in the same way, Tiger's passion, skill, and mannerisms are actually manifested in Charlie. As he shares his glory of how he plays, you see Tiger in him, in his swing and in his mannerisms. Now, in a much more significant, much more holy and thorough way, Christ is glorified in and through the works we do in his power and by the life we live that's in keeping with our calling. And... We are glorified in Christ, in our union with him as he works in us. Jesus is glorified by our Christ-like lives and our faithful work. And the church is glorified by the life-changing transformation and faithful work that Jesus does by his grace. Does this make sense? He is glorified through us. And we are glorified in and through him. So in summary, as we who call Summit our home enter into 2024, I want to exhort us to pray more consistently for our church, for one another, the people, the ministry, and the mission. Why? That God would enable our faithfulness. We would live worthy of our calling. That he would empower our fruitfulness. That every resolve and every act of faith he would accomplish by his power. And that God would exalt Jesus' greatness, that he would be lifted up.
Can we pause for a second again? You might want to think this question through privately. Two of them. Is there an area of your life that is not in alignment with the life God has called us to? We may be generally living that way, but are there some glaring areas where we are actually very much out of alignment, not living worthy of his calling? You just need to ask the Holy Spirit, is there an area? Point it out. He'll do it. And we all have areas. Or what resolve for good and what work of faith do you sense the Lord wanting to do through you? There are things I know you want your life to count for him. What are they? And you pray and trust him. So, conclusion. In, in light of the coming of Christ and the great need to see the kingdom break in, we too must ongoingly gather to pray for our church, our people, our ministry and mission. Tomorrow, as Lloyd said, we kick off a month of prayer and fasting. And I encourage you, seek the Lord and ask him, how long and how do you want me to fast and pray? On Wednesday, we're going to gather for prayer summit. These gatherings are not there to entertain us. They are there to provide a space for the church to gather and call out to God in prayer in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what was true at the church of Thessalonica is true here. Only by the power of God can these resolves for good and steps of faith be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit, the power of God, is released through prayer, faith, and obedience And the release of his power is actually intensified as believing Christ followers fast and pray. We don't do it to earn, but there's something that happens when we fast and pray that clarity comes. We are more in tune with the Spirit of God. The Word jumps alive to us. He works deep in us because as we fast, the longer we fast, then He reveals things. We see what our dependencies are, where our weaknesses are. You don't have to fast all month. I ask you to pray for me because the Lord's leading me to do it for an entire month. I've done many times, 17, 20, 21, 25 days, 27 last time. And I just ask you, I'm just telling you, the longer you fast and pray, the more real, there's a release of the power of God. You don't have to do that. But if you fast a day, two, three, five, seven, seek the Lord, whatever you can do. You can also fast from these things. Your phones, your social media. Fast and turn that time to pray and believe. And when when we do this, God just does something. He releases or intensifies or accelerates his work as people who live for him respond to his leadership. Together, friends, we've got to gather and fast and pray so that God will accomplish every resolve for good and every step of faith we take, that we can live worthy. Now, what are some of these things? Oh, there's a team working on some things. We're, we're seeking the Lord. We're trusting for what, where we're heading the next, you know, this coming year and the, and the next few. 
And while these aren't finalized and they're set in stone, but just that we would see the increase of awareness of Summit in our, in our region and their, our influence in this region. That we, for Christ, that we would engage more than twice the number of people in our ministries and missions in our services to develop the most effective next-gen ministry that we dare to, to inculcate God's intercultural vision in our entire ministry, to assimilate every single new person into a life group, a ministry team, or discipleship squad so that no one walks alone, to experiment by adding different types of services as we're able to raise enough capital resources to build our main church home and ministry center, to begin to, a new venture that plants another summit somewhere, and to expand our reach within a fifth missional partner around the world in the Silk Road region. Friends, we can do these resolves for good if we fast and pray so that we can trust God to, by his power, fulfill every resolve for good and act of faith, and as we walk in a manner worthy as he enables us for the glory of Jesus Christ in our world. Amen. May it be so.